0: There was a grade school girl, and she was so excited. Today, they were going to be talking about all the animals that live in the sea. The teacher began, and finally she got to the part where they talked about her favorite, whales. The teacher began to teach about whales. She said, oh, uh, teacher, 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 I know about whales. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. The teacher dismisses her. There is no way a whale can swallow a man. She said, Well, I'm just going to have to ask him when I get to heaven. The teacher muttered to herself, Well, maybe Jonah went to hell. The girl said, Well, I guess you're going to have to ask him then. Now, y'all don't repeat that. That's, y'all don't act like that. Last week, we talked about the word of the Lord coming to Jonah and God's clear call for Jonah's life. Jonah, rise up and go to Nineveh. But Jonah tells God no, and he runs from him we discussed how when we encounter God's word, we too have a choice to rise up or to run away. It was October 1991 when John Spillane got the call. He was a full-time pararescue man. He was 35, he'd been married a couple years, and his first baby was on the way. When he went in to work that day, they said, we've got a mission. We'll be leaving soon. Now, at that time, it was a beautiful day. It was a stunning, sunny autumn day. But things would change. Multiple storms, multiple systems were coming together. And before too long, there were four of them boarding a chopper to go on a rescue mission. Although this wasn't their first rodeo, they hadn't experienced a storm quite like this. See, multiple storms were coming together and re-energizing a hurricane. They weren't briefed before they went on just the severity of what they were facing. They had to travel hundreds of miles in a chopper to get to this boat that was stranded. The trouble was the tank couldn't take them that far. And So another plane, a tanker would have to come and drop a hose and in this storm they would have to to find it and connect with it and refuel. This had to happen multiple times. Eventually they made it to the stranded boat. But the waves were too high. John recalled when we were looking down there, we could barely see, we could barely hear, and the waves were coming all the way up to the helicopter, 40 to 70 feet up in the air. They determined there was no way they could get down to them, no way if someone got down to them that they could be recovered. So they had to leave. And as they began to to head back they realized they needed more gas, and this was planned. And the problem was is the storm had gotten so bad they, they couldn't reconnect with the tanker. They couldn't, they couldn't get refueled. And dozens of times they tried, and it wasn't working. They came to that terrible realization, we can't make it back. Our best hope of survival is to ditch the helicopter and to drop down into this terrible, terrible sea. Eventually, one by one, as the engines begin to fail, they jump out. all four eventually get out of the helicopter and for hours they wait three of them find one another are able to tether each other to one another in hopes that maybe just maybe in this terrible storm a miracle could happen and a miracle did happen a coast guard boat had braved this terrible storm and came was able to lower a net and eventually timed the waves as they came up and were able to pull them aboard the vessel as john tells the story he says there were times that once we were aboard the boat that it was easier to walk on the walls than it was the floor of the boat People who study weather systems say there may have never been a storm like this before, and we certainly haven't seen one since. You may have heard of it. They called it the perfect storm. God sends Jonah the perfect storm. Jonah. ...runs from God, and the Lord pursues him with the perfect storm. Jonah tried to escape the call to go to Nineveh, but he couldn't escape God's chastening. No matter how far in the wrong direction he ran, the sound of footsteps gaining behind him were always growing. This storm would send him overboard, cause him to be a castaway, and even bring him to the brink of death but God would ultimately steer him back to his presence and his plan for Jonah's life. There is a curious detail in this section of the story. A member of the supporting cast of this chronicle that has been somewhat of a star in this story over time, maybe you've heard. God's deliverance comes by way of a big fish. I'm sure if Jehovah would have just asked Jonah, he would have preferred a cherry to fire, dry land to walk across, a raft, a sandbar, anything or anywhere but the gut of a great fish. However, when you're under water and you're under the hand of God's chastening, beggars can't be choosers. Some people get caught in this story with some concern, some concerns. Well, how did Jonah survive in the belly of a fish? It's just not possible. It it can't be a natural occurrence. Although there are many sea creatures that can swallow a man. I've heard preachers spend an inordinate amount of time trying to prove the plausibility that a fish could swallow a man. He could survive for three days. I'm not one of those MythBusters ministers. We're already on to the third miracle at this point. And as a reader, if you had started in Genesis and just kept reading up until this point, you'd come across water made blood, a rod becoming a serpent, the Red Sea parted, manna sent from heaven, a talking donkey walks where city walls fall down, the sun stands still, dead being raised, fire from heaven. That's just to mention a few so I'm not sure it's mandatory that we make sense of the miraculous to search for natural answers in supernatural occurrences. So when Scripture says that the Lord books Jonah and all expenses paid three-day cruise in the belly of a big fish, I don't think we should flinch. The first chapter of Jonah deals with Jonah's disobedience. The second deals With Jonah's deliverance. See, this chapter is not just his plea for rescue, but a a prayer of thanksgiving. We're gonna talk about Jonah tonight, but make no mistake, I'm speaking to you. And so much more importantly, God's speaking to you through a spirit. Through his word. Give him your full attention tonight. Meet me in chapter two of the book of Jonah. I'll begin reading just before that, verse 17 of chapter one. It says this And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Last week I gave us a few lessons from the life of Jonah. Tonight, I want to give you a a few more. Lesson number four. Deliverance can only come when we discover the depth of our need. Deliverance can only come when we discover the depth of our need. Verse two says... I called from the depth of Sheol, out of the depth of death. You threw me into the deep. Water encompassed me to the point of death. In verse 5, he says, The deep flowed around me. Verse 6, I descended to the base of the mountains. Jonah, in disobedience, had gone down to Joppa, down to the hold of the ship, now down into the depths of the sea. Further and further he goes until he realizes his life is at stake. He can't swim to shore. His strength is insufficient. He can't win against the waves. He cannot save himself. And Jonah becomes acutely aware he is a condemned castaway, hopelessly in need of help. And the text records an interesting aspect of Jonah's situation in verse 4. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Jonah's greatest pain, his greatest helplessness was not the storm, but his seeming separation from God, his sense that he had been cast out of God's sight before he would run from the presence of God. He would run away from the presence of God. But now he ached for it. Isn't that the way it is with you and me too? In the midst of the storm. God, do you see me? God, can you hear me? Battered through the battles. Weary from the waves. Isn't it the most difficult of days in the deep when we feel so far from him? But the Lord meets Jonah there. And he'll meet you there too. Romans 3 tells us that we all fall short. We'll never make it to safety on our own. We'll always fall short of the shore. We can't get to God on our own. And until we discover the depth of our need, we never stop sinking deeper and deeper into the depths, more entangled with the weeds around us, strength fading, no hope and no help in sight. Jonah was sunk, done, gone, and finally in the grips of death when he cries out in distress. In an utter desperation, and the Lord hears him. Once, with a, a clenched fist of defiance, he now opens his hand, reaching for rescue. And God descended to save him. He descended to save you too. Lesson four. Deliverance can only come when we discover the depth of our need lesson 5 deliverance can only come when we are free of false gods when we are free of false gods look at verse 7 while i was fainting away i remembered the lord my prayer came to you into your holy temple those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness but i will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving That which I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance can only come when we are free of false gods. The NIV translators rendered verse 8 this way. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Not too long ago, I was watching a television program where a family had gone together and they had worked on a boat they had saved they had spent an inordinate amount of time to restore this boat to make it new again to make it seaworthy the family goes out on a voyage and before too long a storm comes They begin to be tossed around and eventually come into contact with something where they begin to take on water and the boat begins to break up and the family begins to sink. They talked about how difficult it was to see something that was so special to them, something they held so close to slowly disappear, to watch the beacon light fade away away. Eventually, they were faced with a choice of letting go and letting the boat go free or to go down with it. Wisely, they let go and waited in hopes to be saved. It's not so different for you and I. We too must let go of what is bringing us down and the Lord demands our full affection. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. What are you telling God that he can't have? Where are you telling God that you won't go? Who are you telling God you can't love? Where in your life are you telling God no? That's where it is. That's the secret space. The dark, dank corner in which we worship a false god. That's the weight tethered to us in the trouble That's why it seems no matter how hard we swim, we're still sinking. And the Lord demands our full affection. How can we reach for help when our hands are full? We can have no other gods before him. Deliverance can only come when we discover the depth of our need. Deliverance can only come when we are free Of our false gods. Lesson six. Deliverance can only come when we look to the Lord. Look at verse 4 with me again. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to him into your holy temple. Deliverance can only come when we look to the Lord. Finally, a turning point in the narrative comes when Jonah turns back to the Lord. He turned his heart towards God and his temple. Jonah remembered the Lord. In this passage, Jonah answers that age-old question. If you were a castaway and you could only bring one book with you, what book would you take? Well, Jonah picked the Psalms. Spurgeon said this, Jonah had evidently read his Bible. At least he had read the 42nd Psalm, for he quotes it here. It is a blessed thing to have the Bible in your mind and heart so that wherever you may be, you do not need to turn to the book because you have the book inside you. Here is a man inside a fish with a book inside of him. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. Psalm 18. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Psalm 42, 7. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from your eyes. Nevertheless, you have heard my voice, my supplications, when I cried to you. Psalm 31. What about you? When the storms of life squeeze you, does Scripture come forth? You know, I have noticed a thing that seems common among many believers. When they're in the storm of sickness, of poor health, over the years, visiting people who... Are losing loved ones or losing their lives themselves how often just in conversation in prayer with them how everything that comes out of their mouth when the storm has squeezed them is God's truth this is what God says about me when I'm in trouble This is where God is when I'm in the depths. I know regardless what happens to me, it's going to be okay because I know his word. Where do you look when you're in trouble? You know, I've learned there's usually three places that we choose to look. One is we can can look at the storm, all the trouble around us, all the problems that are near us, the waves that are crashing so close. And we can be gripped by fear, controlled by our anxiety because we're looking at the storm. Some of us, Look at our storms. Some of us look at ourselves. Look at what's happening to me. Look at what I'm having to deal with. Everyone else is living their lives without any issues but my life. I'm going through the ringer. Look at the problems that I'm facing. I'm a victim. See, we can look at our storm. But if we want to be saved, if we want deliverance, if we want what we're really looking for, we'll look at our Savior. See, change didn't happen for Jonah until he looked to the Lord. Do you remember what happened when, when Peter was with Jesus out on the sea? And when he would look away, he would begin to sink. The same is true for you and for me. Where do you look when you're in trouble? Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Like Jonah, the turning point in our stories comes when we turn to the Lord. When we stop running from the Lord and start remembering the Lord. In distress, he calls out to the Lord. He looks to the Lord and the Lord lifts him up from the pit of despair. Language that you'll also hear in Psalm forty. Verse 2. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud, and he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. See, we often look to all the wrong things for help. And if you're looking anywhere but to the Lord, you're looking in the wrong direction. And we always continue to fall with unfixed eyes. Deliverance can only come when we discover the depth of our need. Deliverance can only come when we are free of false gods. Deliverance can only come when we look to the Lord. You know, there's another three-day story in Scripture. God's Word records not just Jonah's rescue, He records my rescue and your rescue. God's help for us came when he himself descended to us, not in the form of a fish, but as a a human. He took upon himself our sin. All the times we would turn away, the seasons where we would run from him, we went our own way. He took all of our shame. He took all of our sin. And he suffered on the cross. And he paid for it once and for all. Three days death had claimed his defeat, but the grave could not hold him. His resurrection now has provided our rescue. Have you called out to him to rescue you? Have you forgotten That he's our rescuer. See, his victory means our victory. We don't have to live in the depths of despair, in the defeat of the deep, although a very real foe leads you to believe so. Jonah's not the only one with a rescue story. Jehovah wasn't done with Jonah. But before God could use Jonah, Jonah had to be remade. And isn't it true? We can't be remade until we've been broken. We shouldn't look at this passage and say, oh, what a a great fish, but rather, what a great God. See, the storm wasn't malicious, it was merciful. Merciful. Jonah learned there's no safe place outside of the will of God, but he also learned there's no place where God's goodness can't find him. Jonah learned no matter how far he ran, he couldn't outrun God. No matter how far he went in the wrong direction, the sound of footsteps gaining behind him was always growing, and God pursues the people he loves. And if you didn't hear anything else, listen to this. You're never too far. There's no place where you can run to, there's no place you can hide where the grace and the mercy of God. God, in this next chapter of the story, we see Jonah rescued, Jonah saved, Jonah brought out of the depths of the sea by your gracious hand. We see a song of thankfulness, of praise, Because of what you've done. Because of how you've worked. God, when we look at Jonah, when we look at our lives, when we look at the cross and our rescue, we just say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. And God, thank you That though we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, in the midst of defeat, in the depths of the darkness, God, you're always looking for us, you're always watching from the window. God, thank you that your steadfast love pursues us, that your grace and your mercy will always find us. We thank you and we pray in the matchless name of our rescuer, Jesus. Amen.